and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 this morning. We've been looking at the life of Paul the Apostle and uh, different stages of his life. First, of course, he was saved, became born again. That's where it all begins. And then God was using him as a preacher, as a pastor. Last week, we looked at him as a spiritual parent. But this morning, I want to look at him as a church planter, as a church planter. Paul had the opportunity, separated by God, him and Barnabas there, to be missionaries. That means they traveled. They went to different places. Uh, you may have traveled this summer. You, have may, you may have went on a vacation. You may even went on a staycation. But you, maybe you had plans. You had destinations. You had time. You had to be there. And you had to make those in advance. It just didn't happen, right? You, just, just, you probably just didn't wake up one day and say, hey, we're going on vacation. Well, you could, but probably not not the best, but we had vacation, and we went to Edisto Island in South Carolina, then Emerald Island, North Carolina, had a great time, saw some friends, enjoyed our time together as a family, and Paul was a traveling person, he went from church to church, and we're going to look at his life and what God was doing in his life, and Barnabas and those who went with him, and we see a pattern of ministry in the churches that he was in, let's look at Acts chapter 13, in verse 1, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, and they were in the church at, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simon, it's called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, and Manum, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. They ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, verse 4, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Cilicia, and from thence they sailed into Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, and was the deputy of the, of the country, a surgeon's Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, speaking to seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of subtlety and mischief and child of the devil, an enemy of the righteous, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a reason. Immediately there, there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and there went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine or the teaching of the Lord. Father, we just pray that you bless now your word as it has been read, but I pray, God, it would not just be read in the, in the ears of men and women this, this morning, but, God, we would be believed. It would be trusted. It would, find, it would find good ground. Lord, it would do its work. For we know that your word promises that your word will never return void. May it do its work in the hearts of men and women. For those who do not know you, may it find seed for them to recognize their need of salvation before it is too late, and there will be a day when it's too late. For those who know you, may it be seed to further growth in their Christian life. Oh, Lord, do a work 
For what I cannot do, speak to the hearts of people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is Paul's recurring pattern in church planting ministry? And what should be the pattern in biblical ministry? And I was having my devotions on, I believe it was Tuesday morning, I found this pattern of ministry. And I love it when I'm reading my Bible and the sermon comes out. Now, sometimes, you know, that doesn't happen that way. Actually, a lot of times it doesn't happen that way. Actually, I'm having to read my Bible, then look for look and look and look and then find, find it. But here, it just, it, just, it just came out so perfectly, and I'm thankful the Holy Spirit allowed me to see it this week through just devotions. First of all, we see in this, this, uh, this ministry, this pattern of, of ministry, the preaching of the Word of God. Anytime where God is working, you see the preaching of the Word of God. Why is it? Because the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We know God and we grow in God by hearing the Word of God. What we primarily do, primarily do in church is teach and preach the Word of God. That is the focus of this ministry. Yes, we have singing and praise God for the hymns, songs, the spiritual songs. Thank God for the giving to the Lord. Thank God for the fellowship. Thank God for all the things that we do. But a church primarily is a place where the Bible is preached and taught. And dear friend, if you ever go to a church and that's not happening, if it's all entertainment, if it's all singing, if it's all praising, there's a time and place for all those things. But primarily, a church should be a place where the word of God is taught and preached. When Paul went to place and place to place, he preached the word. He taught the word. You say, where? Where, pastor, did he preach? Well, here, specifically in Cyprus. You say, where's Cyprus? I'm glad you asked. An island in the easternmost part of the Mediterranean uh, Sea, which runs from northeast to southeast, about west, southwest, from 80, 148 miles long and about 40 miles wide. If I was flying into Tel Aviv, I was looking out my window as dawn was breaking. I looked out and I saw a body of land. And I thought to myself, what is that body of land? What is that body of land? And as I got to Tel Aviv and got to thinking about it, I realized it was Cyprus. It was Cyprus. This island is located south of Turkey and northwest of Israel. So where did he teach? He taught at Cyprus, but specifically, where did he teach? He taught in the synagogue. What is a synagogue? Where it's, it's like a church, primarily for Jewish people, where the word of God is taught. See, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, this was Jesus. He went to Capernaum straightway on the Sabbath day. That was Saturday for them, remember? He entered into the synagogue and taught. Acts chapter 13, verse 14, when they departed from Persia, they came to Antioch, to Bethsaida, and we went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So, so what did Paul do? What did Peter do? What did Jesus do? Primarily through their ministry, they would go to a synagogue, a place where the word of God was first read, then it was taught. That's what they did on a regular basis. And dear friend, that's what we should do on a regular basis. We should come to the house of God and hear the word of God and fellowship with the saints of God. As I was just sitting up, or actually standing up there, waiting to baptize uh, Brother Cooper, I heard the chitter and the chatter of the folks in the house of God, and it just excited my heart to know there were people here hungry and thirsting after righteousness. You didn't come for just bread. I hope you didn't just come for the bread. I hope you just didn't come for the bread. I hope you came for the bread of life. Oh, dear friend, if you came for the bread, here in about a couple hours, you'll be hungry again because you're a Baptist. And Baptists like to eat at least three times a day. I'd like to talk a whole lot more than that. 
But if you just come for the bread, you're going to be solely satisfied. But if you come for hungering and thirsting after righteousness, this bread will fill you and you will never be hungry again. Do you hunger after that which is righteous? Do you hunger after that which will fill you? Where did he go? In Cyprus, in the synagogues. But why? Because Jesus commanded it. I quoted this verse just a little bit ago, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me and heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Because the Jesus, because Jesus discipled it, uh, the, the, the Jesus and the disciples did it. Jesus commanded it, but his disciples did it. It says in Mark, in Matthew chapter three, verse one. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three. When Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the kingdom of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and manner of disease among the people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to them which are saved is the power of God. When I preach and teach the word of God, some people look at me like I'm a crazy man, like I have two heads, or I'm out of my mind. But because to the lost person, the preaching of the gospel is crazy. It's foolish. And you know what? That used to be me. Before I was saved at 17 years of age, mom took me, I mean, drugged me, I mean, took me to church. And I sat there with my sister, and if we weren't falling asleep, we were looking at that preacher, wishing he would just be quiet and let us go home and eat. I thought he was crazy. I thought he was out of his mind. I don't know what I was doing there. I had to be there, or I'd die. And I'd like to live, not die. But some people who, who hear this this morning think, man, this is crazy. What, what, are, what are you talking about? Oh, it's the power of God unto salvation for us who believe. In Titus chapter 1, verse 3, but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of our God, our Savior. Dear friend, that's why we emphasize here at North Gainesville Baptist Church the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the teaching of the word of God. That's why we say to you who come in at 945, go to Sunday school. Hear the teachings from Miss Dorothy. Hear the teachings, Brother Pete, these other Sunday school teachers. Find your way to a good Sunday school class and learn and study the word of God because it is our life. So many churches are now are caught up in entertainment and just having a, a good time going in, getting high on the Holy Spirit, quote, unquote, and leaving with nothing. That's what most churches are today. Dear friend, there's more to that. There's more to that. There's the word of God. We must be taught the word of God. And we must, we must know the truth of it. Because if we are not actively teaching and preaching the word of God, sharing the word of God, then, dear friend, we're not doing what we ought to be doing. You don't have to be an ordained preacher or a pastor to share the word of God with other people. In fact, if you're not giving the gospel to other people, you're not living in the very will of God. The Bible says clearly in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Everyone in this room knows sharing the gospel with somebody who's lost is, is the most important thing you do in the world. Well, I hope you know it. If somebody came in here and said, hey, I'm hungry, you know what we try to do? I would go over there and say, we got some food from Publix. Here's some bread. Because they're hungry, and I would try to give them some food physically. But secondly, I wouldn't just give them food physically. I'd say, hey, you got five minutes. I want to share with something more important than bread. I want to share with you the bread of life. I want to share with you the gospel. 
You say, how do I do that? How about give a person a track as you go to lunch this morning? How about tell somebody, share somebody your testimony? If you are saved, you have a testimony. What's your testimony? Have you practiced sharing your testimony with someone else? When you were saved, how you were saved, have you shared your testimony? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you showed your testimony of salvation to somebody else? You say, preacher, I don't know about that. Maybe you don't have a testimony. Maybe you're not saved. If you if you saved, you have a testimony of how you were saved, when you were saved, where you were saved, what was conditions. Now, you might not remember a lot of it if you're 75 and it happened when you were five, but you maybe know what, what happened and your life was different or would be different. So we ought to be sharing the gospel. We should be sharing it publicly. Proverbs chapter 13, 11, verse 30, the fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. I can't think of a better thing to do than share the gospel with other people. The world is dying and going to hell today. The most tragic reality of our world today is that people are dying and going to hell today, and you and I have the answer. That's why we have a visitation time. That's why we go out from 10 to 12, even on a hot day on Saturday, which I'm sure it will be, and tell people about Jesus. Because if someone don't tell them, if they don't hear about Jesus, they will die and go to hell. You say, preacher, that's your opinion. No, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That many a person will stand before God, and they'll, they'll say, Lord, Lord, remember. I did all these things. I got baptized. It's the scripture says, they said they cast out demons. They did many works in your name. They'll join Baptist churches. They'll give tithes. They'll do all kinds of work, wondrous works. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. There'll be millions, yea, billions, I believe, of religious people who stand before Jesus Christ. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Oh, dear friend, I hope you're not one of them. I hope you know Christ as your Savior. I hope Christianity is more than just coming to church. I hope it's more than singing a hymn. I hope it's more than getting wet. I hope it's more than showing up because you have to be here. I hope it's a relationship. For if the Christianity is not a relationship, you're wasting your time. It's a relationship. You should be, get, you should be sharing the gospel publicly, but you should be giving privately. The church at Philippi did, chapter 4, verse 15, Philippi, uh, it says, now you Philippians, now know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church committed unto me as concerning giving, receiving, but ye only. For ye to Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, no, not because I desired a gift, but I desired fruit that you may abound to your account. Paul is saying, hey, nobody was helping me. Nobody was giving so I could take these missionary journeys, but you only, church at Philippi. Thank you for giving to me. And it wasn't because I really needed it, although he really did, but he knew God would take care of him. He said, I'm glad you gave, and it was a benefit for you, for your account. Every person who saved through those missionaries back there, we are benefited from it. We are, we, it goes to our account. That's why we do a chain offering on next Sunday morning. That's why we do faith promise missions, which we're talking about, which is above and beyond your, your, your tithe and offering to the church. That we give this, this money so that, so that missions can go forth in America, but to the whole world. Whether it be in India or Africa or Asia, and hopefully Brother Nate before long in New Zealand. And by the way, we're going to have a commission for Brother Nate. Uh, to go to New Zealand after he graduates from Faith Baptist Mission for Vision Baptist Missions on the 17th of December. Looking forward to that. But why do we do that? So the gospel can go forth. 
So what is one characteristics of a, of a ministry that Paul was at? It was the preaching of the Word of God. But secondly, because of the preaching of the Word of God, there's a reaction to that. To that. There's a persecution from the wicked. Look at verse 6. It says, when they had gone forth, gone through the Isle of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, it says, which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Pilate, a prudent man who called Paul, Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Anytime there is the pure preaching of the word of God, hear me this morning, anytime someone stands behind the pulpit and says, thus saith the Lord, but for long there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be people come up and say, preacher, you shouldn't have said that. Woo, it's too political. Step on folks' toes. What's the old saying? If you throw a rock into a pack of wolves, the one that got hit is the one that howled the most. Ah, sometimes I'm standing out there and say, Preacher, why'd you preach on that? Because God told me to preach on it. Because God told me to preach on it. That's what we preach on. We preach on truth. We preach on righteousness. And it ain't always comfortable. And it, trust me, as we get closer to the, to the rapture of the church, which I hope happens today, it's going to get darker and darker, and things are going to be a little more confusing. There's going to get even, even more wicked here in Gainesville. And we got to preach the truth, whether it pleases people or not pleases the truth, people. When you preach the truth, some will question you. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, it came to pass that one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came to him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us by what authority thou do these things. They always question him. He answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? They reasoned with him, saying, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then ye believe him not? But again, if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they persuaded that John the Baptist was a prophet. And they answered, and they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said to them, Neither tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus himself was questioned. When you tell your folks and family and friends about Jesus Christ and what he means to you, you came to church on Sunday morning, what was preached and what was taught, People are going to question why. Now, dear friend, questioning to some degree is a good thing because that's how we learn. But if you're doing it to tear a person down, to try to destroy them or divide them or hurt them, that's a different subject altogether. So when you preach the truth, some will question when you preach the truth. Some will try to stop you. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they spake in the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, talking about uh, Peter and, J and uh, John. And being grieved that they had taught the people and preached through, through Jesus the resurrection of the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even time. What was Peter and John doing? Exactly what Jesus was telling them to do. Go and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Sadducees and Pharisees, the ones that crucified Jesus, said, you've got to stop this. And they didn't just say it. They said, they said we're going to put you in prison for it. You know there's places in the world today, hard to believe. That if you preach what I'm preaching right now, they will put you in prison. You can't do this in North Korea. You can't do this in places of Iraq and some Muslim countries. You can't do this in China. You can't do what we're doing right now in a lot of places in the world. And dear friend, I'm going to tell you, as things get darker, it's going to be harder to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they're going to label us certain type of people who try to tell people about Jesus Christ. People will, people will question you. Some people will stop you, and it's going to get to the place, and we know it's going to happen during the tribulation. And, dear friend, it's happening now. 
It's happening even as we speak. Others will kill you for proclaiming the truth. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. Who was this? Stephen, the first martyr. He was preaching the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, why Jesus came. And he said to them, it's your fault. You tell a Jew it's your fault. It's not good. They didn't like that. They didn't like that so much. But he, talking about Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadily, steadily, uh, steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of glory and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him one accord. And they cast him out of the city, Acts chapter 7, 58, and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their, clo- their clothes at the feet of the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon the God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, saying, Lay not this sin to their charge. And he, lay, and he had said this, he fell asleep, and he died. He preached unto them, and they were so angry, so mad that he preached the truth because they knew it was right. They knew that they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and they knew they were wrong. But because they loved money more than God, because they loved popularity more than God, because they loved themselves more than God, they crucified Jesus. And when they heard the truth, it pricked their heart, and they killed the man of God. And that's what they're doing all over the world today. People are dying. People are dying more in this century than they have in the history of the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, men and women who simply stand up and tell the truth. It might be you. It might be me. What did this sorcerer do? Verse 8, and Elamites the sorcerer, for he, so it was his name by interpretation, withstood them seeking to turn them away from the deafity of the faith. The enemies of God always, first of all, try to deceive us. The enemy of God always, first of all, tries to deceive us. They try to say, oh, this is not true. You know, the the worst information is misinformation. We've had a whole lot of misinformation recently, haven't we? But you know what? Some people say, well, just believe anything. I said yesterday during the world service with Bob Tinehill, one of the biggest lies of of the whole world is, if you just believe in God, you'll go to heaven. No, that's not true, my friend. If you just say, I'm going to believe in God, you'll not get to heaven. Because just believing in God can't save you. The Bible says here in John chapter 8, 44, for you are your father the devil. The Pharisees believed in God. The Sadducees believed in God. And Jesus said to them, you are your father the devil. Lust of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. He that speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and a father of it. Oh, there will be many people in hell today because they believe the lie. Secondly, they don't only try to deceive you, they'll try to divide you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this, this fellow cast not out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. They said, Jesus, he's casting, out, he's casting out demons by the power of the devil. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, every kingdom divided against itself brought to, to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. He said, no, there's only two kingdoms, and I'm not on, I'm not on the devil's side. I'm on my side. In fact, there's only really one side, and that's me. Satan cast out state. He's divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? All through life and trials and difficulties, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be people kind of divide you. People are going to try to destroy you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
But don't <laughs> take heart, dear friends. Romans chapter 8, 18, for I reckon the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Oh, times might be dark. We may be deceived. We may be divided. may even die for the faith. But take heart. Whatever is up there, and we, the Bible doesn't describe it perfectly, although there's some things we can read and understand that have been preached. But I can tell you for sure what's up there is a whole lot better than down here. It's a whole lot better. You're going through a difficult time today? Take heart. It's going to get better for you. I was reading this biography about from Anne Hasseltine, about Anne Hasseltine. She was the wife of Adnan Judson, the first American missionary. And I read these words that she wrote through a difficult time because she was often sick, often diseased. And she said, I now begin to think that the afflictions of Job had come upon me when in health I, I could bear the various trials and troubles through which I'd been, which been called to pass to be confined with sickness and was able to assist those who were dear to me. But when in distress, was almost too much for me to bear. And had it not been for the consolations of, of religion, Christianity, and assured conviction that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I must have sunk under my accumulated sufferings. What was she saying? It was God's will for her to suffer. It was God's will for her to go through the pain. It was teaching her something. There's an old saying that we learned when we were doing those Tuesdays in August in, in Greenville, South Carolina, playing football. No pain, no gain. And though that is sometimes difficult to grasp, it is true in the Christian life as well. Paul went through some suffering and pain. But he reckoned that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's evident in the biblical ministry, the preaching of the word of God, the persecution from the wicked. But as we close this morning, we see the power of the work of God. Look at verse 9 again. Look at verse 9. When? When did this happen? Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Oh, oh, full of subtlety and mischief and child of the devil and enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the, way, the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell to him a mist of darkness and went about seeking uh, some to lead him by the hand. Saul, now Paul, saw this man who was causing such mischief, causing such division, who was leaving, leading this deputy away from the truth, looked upon his eyes, fastened on this man. He caused him to be confused. God works just at the right time every time, doesn't he? The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, it came to pass that after that day they went to a city called Nain, and many disciples went with him and much people. And when he came that night to the gate, of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, and the only son of his mother, she was a widow, and much people, the city was with her. Now get the picture. He's going in the city, and here's this young man being carried out. The mother has no husband, and the only person she has in this life is the one who's being carried out, who's now dead. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bear. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I send to you, arise. And he was dead, sat up, and began to speak, and they delivered him to his mother. And they came fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, The great prophet is risen among us, that, that God hath visited his people. And the rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, through all the region about them. What happened? 
God saw a need, saw, had compassion, and healed this man that was dead and brought him back from death to life. Well, God does amazing works. That's amazing works. And what happened here in chapter 13, verse 12? When this wicked person, this sorcerer, was, was rebuked from, her, from the wickedness that was done, the Bible says when the deputy, when he saw that was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. There's three things that happen in a biblical ministry, the preaching of the word of God. There's going to be persecution from the wicked, but there's the power of the work of God. And we've seen it even in this church. The devil's not for us. The world's not for us. The flesh is not for us. We've seen God work in this place. The place that we're standing and sitting in is a miracle of God. Every time someone from outside comes, they say, man, God blessed you with a, with a, with a wondrous uh, church and a beautiful building. Pastor Max from California who was here. And he said, brother, God's blessed you with a, with a wonderful church. And I said, to God be the glory. Great things he had done. It wasn't the works of men. It was the power of God. It was the power of God. We've seen it here in our midst. We've seen souls saved. We've seen people baptized. We've seen folks join the church. Dear friend, that don't happen just because you want to. It happens because God moves in the hearts and lives of people. We've seen the preaching of the word of God, the persecution from the wicked, and the power of the work of God. Oh, how we need Jesus Christ more and more and more and more today. I wonder this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Has there been a time in your life that you placed your faith in him personally? I'm not saying that person beside you. I'm not saying mom or dad or brother or sister. I mean, do you know him? As we were coming back from Emerald Isle, my, my, my wife suggested that we stop before making that long journey from Emerald Isle to Gainesville and stay overnight in a hotel. And the older I get, the more I know I need to listen to my wife. So I said, okay, we will. So I got us a hotel. We went to that hotel. The, the person at the desk, not very friendly. The computer I looked over at in the business center was broke. The water fountain was broken. I couldn't get into our door to save my life. I mean, I just tried. I finally got it. The, the, shower, the shower hand handle. You almost had to be the Incredible Hulk to get that thing to work. I mean, it had more issues, more problems than any hotel I've ever been. And this is a popular chain that if I said the name, and I will later if you ask, I'll tell you the name of the place. But normally when I stay in this place, because I've stayed in these hotels many a time, they're wonderful, they're great, the folks are friendly and kind, and it's a pleasant, pleasant experience. But when they sent me the survey last week, I explained to them clearly what the problem was. I just had to tell them the truth. That's just what I do. I explained to them the host was unfriendly. I told them. The water fountain was broke. The computer was broke. The floor, I forgot about that. The floor was wet. I just reminded that. I saw my wife.
Now, you come into church here at North Gainesville Baptist Church, you can't atone for your sin. By being good, you can't atone for your sin. There's no cosmic, there's no cosmic scale out there that if your good works outweigh your bad works, you'll somehow, by the skin of your teeth, like you got through elementary school, you'll get to heaven somehow, some way. There's no cosmic scale out there, brother friend. You say, well, friend, that's all a lie. And many a person's in hell today believing that if their good works outweigh their bad works, they'll be in heaven. That's just not true. It's not in this book. I'll give you a billion dollars if you can find it. And I don't have a billion dollars. But you can't find it. <laughs> it's just not true. Salvation, as the Bible is purely explained in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, we were sinners. We were lawbreakers. Every one of us have broken the law. If I had five minutes with you, I could tell you within five minutes things you've done wrong. I just got to ask you a lot, of, a lot of questions. What did you watch last night? That gets about 90% of you right there. What did you do last week? Who would you gossip about? I didn't do any of those things. Well, tell me about your thought life, and then you're done, especially if you're a man. It's over. Every one of us in this room have sinned. And the Bible said, come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8, but God commanded his love towards us in that while we were at sinners, even though we were lawbreakers, Christ died for us. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect, holy life for 33 years to go on that old rugged cross to shed his blood. And you know what he did when he shed his blood? He atoned for our sin. You say, who? Well, it says, much more than being justified, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we receive now the atonement. Jesus Christ is the only atonement is the only way, is the only payment, the only person who can save us. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through Confucius, not through a Baptist preacher, not through the Pope or the Catholic Church, not through the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Methodist Church, not through any church, not through any person, but only through Jesus Christ can you be saved. Have you been saved? Has there been a time in your life you say, Preacher, I've been saved. On this date, such a time, I recognize I was a sinner. Brother Eric said back then, certain day, a certain time, certain place, he was saved. When was that certain time, certain place for you? You say, Preacher, I can't remember that. Well, how about doing it today? You see, friend, we do a whole lot of things in life if we're not sure about it. If you're not sure you're full, you're going to go get some more food to fill up and make sure you're full, right? If you're not sure you got enough gas in your tank, you're going to go down the road to get more gas, right? If you're not sure, <laughs> if you're not sure your uh, air-conditioned bill's paid, you better make sure you pay it because you don't want to be in this heat. You make sure of it, don't you? Dear friend, if you're not sure you're saved, which is the most important decision of your entire life, why not be sure of it today? Why not say, Lord Jesus, I'm not, I don't even know. I don't even understand all of it, but I know one thing, I'm a sinner. I know your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. 
and shed his blood so I could have everlasting life. And today I want to receive that. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone so that when I die, and today could be the day you die, and no one knows how long you're going to live. No one knows how long you're going to live. But when I die, I'll be in heaven forever because my trust is in Jesus Christ who died for me. Dear friend, if you've never done that, simply do it today. Now you say, preacher, man, if I do that, people are going to look down on me. <laughs> Who's going to look down on you? Dear friend, you know what the Bible says? That if you ask Jesus to save you, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. I've, had, I've seen deacons and deacons' wives and preachers, heard of preachers who got saved, who preached the word, but they didn't even know the word. They got saved. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, how about get saved today? You say, well, preacher, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm not living like it. I'm, I'm not living to the glory of God. I'm living to the glory of myself. Yesterday, I was watching the uh, enshrinement for those who got put into the Hall of Fame. I'm not a Miami Dolphins fan, but I was listening to the words of Zach Thomas. Two years old, he got ran over as a baby. Because of that, he had hearing problems. His mom had to teach him hour upon hour how to hear, how to understand, how to comprehend. He said, if it wasn't for the dirt roads of Texas, if it had been the concretes of New York, I'd have been killed that day. But God showed him grace and mercy. He survived. He wasn't, the, he wasn't the biggest. He was only 5'10". He was the most athletic. But yesterday, 27 years after Jimmy Johnson gave him one shot to be the linebacker of the Miami Dolphins, he was enshrined in the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And he said, to God be the glory. You see, God can take something. Maybe someone says, preacher, I can't say a whole lot. I can't do a whole lot. I'm not a whole lot. No, dear friend. I love what Paul says. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He can take your can't and by his grace and his power and for his glory and for your good, he can do it. If you're willing to believe and have faith and trust him that he can. Will you? You can. It's a step of faith. Just like trusting him as your Savior is a step of faith. Living for him and walking in his life and doing what's right is a step of faith. I wonder this afternoon now, will you do it? If you don't know him, would you trust him? And if you do know him, are you living for him or are you living for yourself? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. And, and with that, we know there'll be persecution. And, but with it, Lord, we ask to see your power. The word has been preached. The word has been taught. Oh, God, I pray that you would do your work. Holy Spirit of God, do your work. With head bowed, eyes closed, may I ask this simple question. Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I didn't say 75%. I didn't say 99%. I said 100%. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure, if you was to walk out that door, get in your car, and by God forbid some old person hit you while they were texting and sent you out into eternity, would that next second after your heart quit beating, would you be in heaven or would you be in hell? If dear friend, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, absent from the body, be present with the Lord. But if you're trusting in anything outside of Jesus Christ, dear friend, it's hell for you.
That's not, what my, that's not my opinion. It's the word of God. I said, preacher, I'm not 100% sure, but I want to be 100% sure. I don't want to live anymore with doubt. I don't want to live anymore with fear that I might die and go to hell. I want to know this morning. Now, friend, I don't want to embarrass you at all, and I won't point you out, but can I pray for you? Preacher, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. I'm not, I don't think I'm saved, but I want to be saved. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Raise your hand. Say, that's me today, preacher. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure, and I want to be sure. I'm just not sure, and I want to be sure. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all this morning? I'd love to pray for you.